Yo Pots. Check out Meet Mitch and Leawood for award-winning barbecue, outstanding atmosphere, and your destination to watch all your favorite March Madness action. Tailgating for opening day? Place your order online and pick up on way to the game. Meet Mitch Barbecue, East 95th and Mission in Ranch Martin North Shopping Center. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. Another day, another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th Metcalf in Overland Park or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. To kick off the show, as you can hear my phone buzzing in the background, to kick off our show today, I thought I'd play some great audio I got last night on my night shift show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. If you didn't get the chance to listen, we've got two great interviews lined up here today. First, we'll go with Matt Derrick, who had just gone back from Indianapolis to the NFL Draft Combine, and he had plenty to say on that and some offseason moves that may be upcoming for the Kansas City Chiefs. So without further ado, here is Matt Derrick from the night shift last night. And we'll go to the phone lines for the first time tonight as we are joined by beat writer of ChiefsDigest.com, Matt Derrick. Matt, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Absolutely. I just got back from Indianapolis, so really just literally stepped foot in the house. So perfect timing. It absolutely is the perfect timing with you coming back from Indianapolis with the NFL Draft Combine because in the aftermath of the Super Bowl, now I think everybody in Kansas City wants to know what the pulse is with who the Chiefs would maybe be taking at 31. So, Matt, I know it's incredibly early, but right now if you had to make a pick at maybe what position the Chiefs would go with with that 31st pick, what would you say it would be? I mean, at this point, I think the intelligence says it's just completely wide open. I mean, mm-hmm. um, the Chiefs are truly going into this draft. I mean, you know, talking with some of the people I talked to where, you know, they seriously feel like there's a huge need anywhere. I mean, and that fits well with, you know, Brett Veach's professed philosophy of what every general manager wants to do. They want to be able to take best available athlete, best available player. And this is a, a, a situation where the Chiefs should be able to be in that spot. I mean, they should not feel a need to take anyone at any particular position because, I mean, they're, they're not in that position. That's what happens when you draft well for the last couple of years. Now, there's some pressure. They certainly feel it. Um, they're confident that they're going to they're gonna hit this year, but um, they know that there's pressure to keep, keep this streak up. Uh, I really don't have a feel for it yet. I mean, some of it's going to be, I, I think, a little bit of how we feel like that the draft is going to balance out. Um, you know, who goes early? I mean, there's positions I can certainly tell you the Chiefs won't take. We know they're not going to take a quarterback. Um, I think there's probably only one running back worth taking in the first round, and I know that Chiefs don't want to hear that at all. Um, but, I, I mean, hey, is the, would the smart money be on the position like offensive tackle or edge? Yeah, I mean, those would be, I think, the front runners. But it, it, this is truly a spot. I mean, if the Chiefs get to 31 and, and there's a player they have on their board as the 15th best player in the draft, They'll take them. Doesn't matter the position. 
Can they find a starter with the 31st pick? I mean, I know it's so close to the second round, and usually in the second round you're finding more rotational guys or guys that can help you with depth. But right now I'm kind of hard-pressed to find where there's a true opening on this defense or off offensively. I mean, when you think about the wide receiver group, which you think may be thin, even if they let Judas Smith-Schuster walk, they're not going to replace him with a guy through the draft because it's nearly 1,000 yards of production you're trying to replace. On the defensive side of things, your secondary is pretty firm at that point. You have Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Legereus Sneed. At the safety position, you got guys like Justin Reed, Brian Cook. And up front, I mean, you have Chris Jones, you have George Karloftis, and maybe you bring back Derek Nottie, Colin Saunders, maybe you bring back Frank Clark. Like, it doesn't really feel like there's a true opening on either side of the ball. Is there somewhere, though, with that 31st pick, the Chiefs do find a starter? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question because, you know, if you're looking for immediate starter, I mean, what positions are you talking about? I mean, right now, I think you'd say that the Chiefs have an open spot at right tackle because they, they don't have anybody under contract for that spot. I mean, the one guy is Lucas Niang would be the next man up, but remember, he hasn't taken a snap in, in over a year. So, you know, even the Chiefs don't know what he's got right now. So I, I would say that's one. Talking about receiver, yeah, to me, it's – it's really risky you're talking about getting a starting receiver for for an Andy Reid offense in the draft. I mean, looking at his history as a coach, I mean, you go to Reggie Brown and Tyreek Hill kind of seasons are really your your second, yeah. your third or fourth best receiver rookie receivers ever. Otherwise, you need Deshaun Jackson or Jeremy Macklin. I mean, that's that's the kind of, you know, guy you need and I know I know I know Deshaun was a second round pick, but but in second round talent. I mean, he had first round talent. There were other reasons why he goes later. But that I think is a lot tougher to do. I mean, you know, right tackle. Yeah, you can you can get maybe the best or second best right tackle in at thirty one. You could get one of the maybe the best tight ends in this draft class, which is really good. You don't think that's a need with Travis Kelsey, but it's one for the future. And if you think there's a, a ten year tight end right there that you could get at thirty one, I'd consider it. You're right. Defensively, defensive line help is the one thing I would say to stand out. But the catch there is that. You know, if you're the Chiefs drafting at 31, he might be getting the 10th best defensive lineman. And the value is at other positions, you, you know, you have to consider that. So that, that's that's where, I mean, you know, hey, drafting at that point is a tough spot. Um, you know, and then you come into the question of whether the Chiefs would be willing to make a trade this year hosting the draft. Um, I'm still not completely sold that, that Clark Hunt was actually kidding when he said don't trade the first-round pick. I, I think he was serious. Uh, so I think the Chiefs want to make a first-round pick. I don't think they want to trade out, but a lot of things can happen at 31. You know, I'm glad you brought up the, the trade aspect of this because in Kansas City, I can only imagine the place going wild if Kansas City traded a couple of their picks to move up to maybe the 18, 19, or 20 range and take somebody they really want. But that was going to be my next question is, is there anybody really right now to Kansas City that would be worth it in packaging a couple of your maybe second or third round picks to move up in the first round? Or are you kind of with Clark Hunt here and say, no matter what happens, do not trade that first round pick at all? I mean, I actually would be with Clark. I mean, I I, I think it's important just for the for the draft and for you know the team. I mean, I get it. I mean, and, and there there's a scenario at 31 where I would say, hey, go ahead and trade the pick and get out of it. You know, namely if if there's a quarterback that some teams are fighting over to try and get the 31 so they can get that fifth year option. Um, that's happened before in the draft. We've seen it. I mean, that I could see a late round pick becoming very valuable. Um, so then maybe you might get a pretty nice offer for teams in that spot. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you feel like the Chiefs might end up exactly where they were. 
in the 2020 draft. That they get to the last pick of the draft after winning the Super Bowl, they're sitting there without a ton of needs, and, and now they're just you know looking for the best fit. And obviously, was that a home run pick? No, in retrospect, it wasn't. But I mean, I fell into the camp that you know understood the pick and why they did it. And if it worked out, it would have been a great idea. It just it hasn't worked out to this point. We're talking with Matt Derrick of ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, what makes the most sense? I know you brought up the right tackle position, but really what does make the most sense if you're Kansas City? Do you bring back Andrew Wiley, just put him in that spot again? Do you give Lucas Neing a chance, assuming he's going to be healthy in training camp? Maybe do you move Darian Kennard outside, which a couple of people wanted through training camp last year? Or do you take a chance on somebody in the draft to go start week one at that right tackle spot? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different options that the Chiefs have. And, and I certainly got the sense from the last couple of days in Indy. Uh, honestly, I think that option number one is, is they, they would like to have Andrew Wiley back. So, I mean, I think it's going to be uh, up to a lot just what the cost is going to be. Um, because, you know, last year even, the, hey, the, the Chiefs gave running back on a one-year deal. Um, Wiley was looking for something more than that, and it, it wasn't out there. So, you know, on a one-year deal, he had from a lot of teams. Sticking with Kansas City made the most sense. That's probably not going to be the equation this year. Uh, there will probably be some teams that, even on a one-year deal, will offer him more money than the Chiefs will offer. Uh, there may be some teams that will offer a multi-year deal. And if that's the case, I mean, that's, that's what the young guy wants. So I could see you know, that being difficult for the Chiefs to get done as far as keeping Andrew Wiley. Um, Lucas Niang feels like the good fallback position just because there's an unknown there. Um, they would be, I think, comfortable with Niang at a couple different spots. If, if next year he was the sixth man that could play in any you know, interior position, he could fill in a right tackle, be, be in a left tackle on a pinch, if he could be a true swing guy, I, I think they'd be fine with that. Um, relying and counting on, on Niang being the guy is a risk just because you don't know where he's at after the injury. You have a pretty small sample of what he's been as an NFL tackle as it is, and and even that, that it's positive, it's, it's not anything that can really sell you at this point. And, I mean, hey, could the Chiefs go get somebody? Well, I would say as a free agent, if you're not willing to pay Andrew Wiley for what you got from him this year, there's probably not a, a free agent tackle that makes a whole lot of sense either unless you're willing to pay a lot more money. And that brings you back to the draft. And, you know, and, and right, hey, this is one of those positions where – Hey, if you do end up keeping Orlando Brown and you, you keep him as a franchise tag or you get a long-term deal done, maybe this is a situation where you look at a, a strong tackle, a strong left tackle, a guy who could start on the right initially and, and then maybe move to the left down the road. That that opens up that option, too. So, I mean, that's one thing with the, the way that the Chiefs roster is situated, at least. They've got options. Brett Veach and, and Andy Reid, they're not locked into any one approach. We're talking with Matt Derrick of ChiefsDigest.com. I know it's not high on the priority list, but what do you think the chances are, maybe percentage-wise, of the Chiefs finding their backup quarterback to Patrick Mahomes through the draft? Uh, you know, I would say pretty slim because I, I think that unless you know they go out and get a, a veteran to come in and, and back up Mahomes and be just another veteran voice in that locker room, uh, I think they're ready for Shane Burchell to take over. So... Um, not ruling out that with 12 draft picks, it looks like they're going to have that they wouldn't spend one on a quarterback in a late round if there's somebody that they really like and, and think that they can develop. I think they would have done that in the past if there was a quarterback like Michelle or 
you know, and, and Chris Olacolin that they had on the practice squad this year um, was a guy that they, they liked, but the Steelers took him in the seventh round, or otherwise, you know, he might have been a, a, a priority free agent for them last year. Uh, I, I I think they're pretty happy with the situation that they've got. Uh, I mean, like I said, unless there's a, a veteran, you know, affordable veteran that makes sense, or there's somebody that they really like, but at this point, and especially what I've heard over the last two days, they seem pretty comfortable with Michelle, you know, backing up Mahomes at this point. What's your pulse right now on the thoughts of bringing Juju Smith-Schuster back on maybe a multi-year deal? I'm sure everybody would be on board if he were to take another one-year deal, but I'm sure Juju is not going to bet on himself again. He feels like he's already bet on himself and won. Uh, do you see Kansas City thinking, hey, he was a guy that gave us nearly 1,000 yards in production. The wide receiver group is maybe not what we want it to be. We don't really feel like the market could fall our way. You want to bring back a guy that knows the offense really well. I mean, do you see Juju coming back to Kansas City, or do you think he's going to be too expensive for Brett Veach? I, I think he will come back, and and the price is going to be interesting because that there's the kind of two competing market forces going at each other on Juju. Um, one is that you're right. He, he went out there, he bet on himself, and he, he, he won. Um, he's got the best numbers of any, you know, free agent in this year's draft class for for, for veteran receivers. Um, there's only a couple of players that I think you could say are in his class, but you look at the numbers and there's nobody that's really in his class right now. And in that case, you would normally say this guy's going to break the bank. I mean, look what Christian Kirk got last year. And Christian Kirk at this point was not a better receiver than Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, so, hey, he goes out and gets $19 million. The, the thing about Juju, though, is that there's a lot of miles on those knees. And for team, there were quite a few teams last year for whom Juju wasn't an option because they, they were too concerned about the knees and the medical issues. Did anything happen this year that really would dissuade them from thinking that the knees were still an issue? I mean, the knees were still an issue for Juju. So even though he's got the numbers to say this is still a productive, good receiver, I think you're still going to be NFL teams that are like, hey, we can't give this guy $19 million because the injuries are still a concern. And if that's the case, and, there, and a market doesn't develop that they'll drive up the price, maybe the Chiefs can get by, you know, signing Juju. I, I mean, I would be personally comfortable with the Chiefs, you know, on a three-year deal and the, you know, 12 to 16 standpoint. I think that would be a good bargain for the Chiefs. I mean, I think that would be productive. They, I believe, need him. I mean, having him back certainly makes everything easier. Um, there's no doubt. Last year, the receiver group, played great but rebuilding a receiver group two years in a row is a hard thing to do and even though you got marquez and you got Kadarius tony and you got sky Moore, having having juju back would i think really add a, a jolt to that room if it's not juju where do the chiefs fill that hole i mean i think you're probably talking about the draft because you know once again we circle back to uh, i don't know that there's really a better option in free agency other than Juju. I mean, there are some other good receivers, but I don't think anybody's an upgrade. And the guys that are out there, you know, that have some clean medical, they might end up being more expensive than Juju. So I don't know. I mean, it just to me doesn't feel like last year where there was a really productive, you know, wide receiver group. And there were even some guys available via trade, you know, to the point where a free agent like Marquez Valdez-Scantling was pretty good bargain at, you know, three for 36, kind of what that, that works out to. Even if he plays all three years, I mean, it goes down if the Chiefs were allowed to walk away after this year or or after next season. So, I mean, this year, it's just the depth is just not there for me in that free agent class. So, 
I'm not. I'm not sold that there is a, a solid solution. I mean, I think there's good, you know, Plan Bs, but I wouldn't be surprised that if if that's the case, if Juju doesn't come back and you're the Chiefs, you kind of build with what you have. Maybe you you look at the draft and see if hey, is there somebody out there with speed that can can be your deep guy? Is there somebody that's got some size that you can get to be a complimentary receiver? I mean, you start looking for some pieces, but. I would also expect then, if that's the case, Chiefs are probably going to be in the market for bringing back Justin Watson. Might look at some other guys too. You know, just trying to keep some continuity in that group. We're talking with Matt Derrick of ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, does it make sense at this point to trade Legereus Sneed? What type of value is there? Can you trust a cornerback group? I mean, I know a lot of people are going to love Trent McDuffie or Jalen Watson or Josh Williams be a one-two-three in terms of cornerback play, but it's not always easy to find a guy like Legereus Sneed out there who could replace him with that same type of uh, skill level. So do you think it makes sense for Kansas City at this point in their rebuild of this defense to trade away Legereus Sneed? Is there any value there that is worth trading? Where do you kind of stand on the market for Legereus Sneed? Yeah, it's an interesting market because I don't know exactly how luxurious need is valued around the league. And I don't know if we've got a really good grasp on that. I mean, you know, you, you saw Traveris Ward left for a, a pretty pretty good contract with the 49ers. And that was a guy that the, the Chiefs couldn't couldn't get kept, couldn't keep, whether that was though they didn't offer enough or, you know, they just flat out, you know, wanted to go a different direction. I mean, you know, they, they did not keep Traveris Ward. So how does Legereus need it? I mean, I think Legereus needs better than Traveris. And, you know, and that's no knock against Traveris. I mean, I think the Legereus needs that good. But he hasn't been a pro bowler or anything. So what's his value? What would another team be willing to pay? I mean, I, I think there's some Chiefs fans who think, oh, well, hey, you can get, you know, back a, a first or a, you know, a second and a third for Legereus. I'm not sure that's what how other teams view him. I mean, getting a second back might be nice, but for the Chiefs, you might even have to throw in a sweetener. I'm just not sure what the value is around the league. Um, I think he's really valuable in Kansas City for what he does and how he fits into this defense to the point that if I'm the Chiefs, I, I would think about trying to keep him around long term. I get the logic of trading him when he has his most value, but I, I think there's still a lot of use you can get out of Legereus this year, especially as a leader with that young group. And even though the Chiefs have hit on those young players and that young secondary, I also need him to back it up. I mean, one year is nice, but... Hey, wait until some offensive coordinators get a long look at their games because you're going to learn more about them in the sophomore season. And if they can stand up to it, because now that their their weaknesses are on tape, you're going to see offenses going after more next year. You don't. I, I would not bank anything on on your corners as, as good as they've looked. I wouldn't put all that in the bank yet and walk away from with Jerry Steed until you actually know what you have. With the emergence of Isaiah Pacheco last year, and I thought about this to myself when looking at the draft, you found him with your last pick in the draft in the seventh round. Does it ever make sense for the Chiefs again to use a draft pick maybe one through three in rounds one through three on a running back again because of that type of success for Isaiah Pacheco? I mean, when you have a guy that was nearly an undrafted free agent rush for over 1,000 yards in the regular season and including the postseason, I mean, why would you use a pick on a running back in rounds one through three ever again as long as Brett Veach is there? I mean, you know, it's, hey, would you would you like to have a guy like Saquon Barkley versus Isaiah Pacheco? I mean, I like Isaiah, but mm-hmm. Saquon's better. I mean, there are better running backs. So, I mean, if you want to take the risk on, on an upgrade, I mean, you probably do have to, to, to draft one. And and I say that, and I was joking with, the, with someone I was talking to last night, it was like, you know, 
because Bajan Robinson seems like everybody's consensus number one running back. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who can be a stud in the NFL. I mean, this is just a, a can't-miss guy. And if there's anybody we're taking in the first round, it's him. It's like, hey, grief, if the Chiefs get to 31 and Bajan Robinson's on the board, do you take you? After what happened, you know, what you've been through with, with Clyde and the questions around Clyde, and now you have Isaiah. I mean, if there's a talent like that, I think I'd be tempted to go ahead and take him. If he's the best player on my board, I think I'd take him. Now, with this running back group as a whole, you have Isaiah Pacheco. You can have the option of bringing back Jarek McKinnon, but now it pretty much feels like there's zero chance at all that Clyde Edwards-Alaire comes back. So maybe how do you fill that running back room again? Do you bring back Jarek McKinnon? Do you find another guy in the draft for a running back room? Isaiah Pacheco's not going anywhere, but maybe how would you fill those final two or three spots in the running back room? Yeah, I think I think plan, plan A absolutely is bringing back Jarek McKinnon, and, and there definitely seems to be some interest there. And that's another guy that you know has kind of competing market values for him going different directions. On the one hand, an extremely productive player who shined all year, played played out and played well in the postseason, um, has a lot of skill traits, you know, and still looks sharp at, at this point. But then again, I mean, he's over thirty. He's, this is, I think, going to be year nine. A um, couple of knee surgeries in his background. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. You know, an NFL GM and a medical staff would be looking at this guy, at, at, at Derek McKinnon, and saying, "Don't touch him." I mean, that's one of the reasons he was in Kansas City in the first place. The Chiefs were one of the only teams willing to take a chance on him with the injury history, and so I, I mean, I still think he fits better in Kansas City than almost any other situation. He he's got a ring now, so I wouldn't begrudge him if he goes out and gets the money. It's just you know, is a, is a team willing to offer him that? And I, I think the Chiefs would like to keep him at a price. I don't think it's a premium though. You know, they can't go out and, and, and give Jerry McKinnon $5 million. But if he's able and willing to stick around, I mean, he would be the one of the top priorities for me in free agency. All right, Matt, last question for you here and somewhat football-related, but mostly not. Does Travis Kelsey bomb or thrive on SNL? You know, I have had serious concerns, uh, especially, you know, after hearing Travis talking on his podcast about his one acting role not being that great and not having a lot of confidence. Um, and, uh, and I was very concerned, but I'll tell you what, that, that promo that came out today, I thought he was solid. And, I did too. You know, and, and I know it wasn't really a sketch. I mean, he just had to kind of do some acting. I mean, and it's not live, so we'll, we'll see what happens when the lights come on. But I've, I've got higher expectations now than I did 24 hours ago. I, I, and, and I mean, I think, I think, I think Travis has got the personality to pull it off. I don't think he'll get camera shy. I don't think he'll get you know get scared under the light. But you never know what's going to happen. All right, Matt. Well, thanks so much for your time as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Always fun talking to you, Jack. Take care. There he goes. That's Matt Derrick of ChiefsDigest.com. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, it's time to talk some Royals baseball, and we'll do that with former Royal Jamie Bluma. That's next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. It's time to talk some Royals baseball, and we will do that with former Royal Jamie Bluma. It's now time to go back to the phone lines as we are joined by former Royal Jamie Bluma. Jamie, how are we doing tonight? I'm good. I'm going to have to join you uh, out there at the uh, Barstool Sportsbook one of these times when, uh, when it all works out. You are always welcome. There is a comfy couch right next to me for you to come post up. We'll have a headset and everything all prepared for you. But first things first, 
Let's start with these 5-1 and one Kansas City Royals who have been red hot in Cactus League play. Read into that for what it is. It is just spring training. But I want to start with the game today and Brady Singer uh, not really having the best of stuff. He threw his changeup just twice. Uh, the spin rate wasn't as high as it was last year. But, Jamie, being a pitcher yourself, what really is the positives you can take away from a spring training outing? I mean, do you just want to work on your stuff? Do you want high velocity? Do you want good spin rate? Do you want to have just good numbers? Where were you when, when going into spring training just looking for success? I mean, for me, it was a little different. It was always about you had to do well enough to just to make a team, you know, so you were always battling your butt off to, to, to make sure to get on that opening day roster or, you know, maybe even at the end, toward the end of my career just to make that AAA team, you know, so you don't get – uh, released and go somewhere else. Brady Singer's in a position because of what he did last year and the year before. You know, he he's got a little bit of a wiggle room. He can go work on some things, whether that's an off-speed pitch or or just working on command or something like that. Where it, it's not it's not such cutthroat uh, for him during spring training. If he doesn't throw well, he's not going to make this team. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to let your guard down. Uh, you still want to go out there and get people out. I mean, that's the whole name of the game. Regardless of who it is in spring training, uh, you can say that maybe those numbers don't matter that much, but at the same time, you've got to go out there and compete uh, and try to hone your craft and get yourself better. And whether that's working on, I don't know, today obviously didn't throw a ton of change-ups. Maybe they had some other game plan they were working on. Maybe it was, you know, commanding a fastball or, or, or throwing some breaking balls early in the count to get ahead of guys. I didn't get a chance to actually watch him pitch i haven't actually had a chance to sit down and watch too much spring training i want to i want to get there and, and kind of see what's going to happen with the pitch clock with the no shift with the you know the new the new bigger bases the uh the pickoff rules which i, I mean we can mm-hmm. talk some of those things in a minute i think those are going to be the things that kind of gonna keep an eye on for this year but in brady singer's case i mean he's got an opportunity to go out there and work on some things um he's, he's obviously got an entire new coaching staff uh, you know, from the big league level all the way down to, to all the other analytics guys within the organization. So uh, there probably is a feeling out process for all those guys, too, uh, to figure out what makes each guy click and how they get comfortable with each other. Now, with this new coaching staff, they've really preached throwing strikes. Their motto is raid the zone. And so far through spring training, through those six games, these pitchers have thrown more strikes. They're getting more swings and misses. Carlos Hernandez was great today, striking out four over the two innings. How much of that can you read into in spring training with the fact that they are attacking the zone, they're throwing more strikes, walking less guys? And I understand you'll have some you know, high-A guy or double-A guy walk three or four guys in the ninth inning in a 12-11 to 11 game, but it feels like for the most part the mentality is when you go out there first inning, you are going to attack your zone with your best pitch. And is that something in spring training where you go, it is spring training, some guys are going to take a first or second pitch, they're just trying to get comfortable at the plate, or can you have something behind that where maybe this motto of raid the zone is really resonating early on with these Royals pitchers? Well, and I think that's exactly what that coaching staff wants to do is you, you create a mindset. You know, we want to, we're new guys here. Uh, we've got some fresh arms and some fresh faces uh, across the board. So let's create that mindset where we are going to raid the zone. I like it. And you, and you see it a little bit uh, already where guys are, are, are competing early in the count and, and, and throwing strikes. I know you, Boddicker and I go round and round and round and McFarland too about just having the ability to get ahead in the count, man. It's amazing mm-hmm. how it will help you. I mean, when you, when you look at the numbers and you see if, 
a guy's in a one and two count versus a guy's in a two and one count, it's it's exponentially different. I think if a guy's in a two and one count, he hits over three hundred. If a guy's in a one and two count, they hit below two hundred. Um, so just to get that mindset and get get that you know in those guys' heads, and, and that's what they're going to create as an organization now moving forward, uh, especially with all these these young arms. And it looked like Lynch threw the ball good today. I was excited what you see in the Hernandez. Uh, where he's, you know, a little bit scuffled. I mean, there's a lot of guys that aren't locked. So this is wide open. Uh, and that's what I love looking up and down all these box scores. And you had a lot of guys in these Royals box scores that you never even know who it is. Uh, and to go out there and be 5-1, and one, I just like the energy. Uh, from what I hear, I talked to Sweeney a little bit a few days ago. You know, just the ener- energy around the ball club with all the new faces on the coaching staff, uh, a whole bunch of young guys. Uh, battling for positions. And I know at the, I know at the end of the day, maybe spring training numbers don't matter that much once you get into the, 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 the grips of the regular season. But all these, all you can do right now is go out and play. We're talking with former Royal Jamie Bluma here on the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Aroldis Chapman had his Royals debut in spring training yesterday. And for those that didn't know it, Aroldis Chapman maybe wasn't a huge fan of the pitch clock. He was ninth slowest in baseball last year in pitch tempo. Took about 25 seconds in between pitches. But yesterday in his debut, he had two strikes. He did get a pitch clock violation. But do you think that would work maybe in a guy's favor like Aroldis Chapman, who when he wasn't on Jamie, you're walking around the mound, you're not having a good tempo, you don't have much of a rhythm, you're going to walk more guys. Or does it work completely against you where now he's going to be uncomfortable, he'll be out of rhythm, he's having to work too quickly, and that could hurt his game. How does that really affect a guy who last year couldn't throw strikes at all? In that regard, I think it's probably going to help him because you change his mindset a little bit. Man, get out there, work fast, uh, get ahead of guys, do that kind of thing. Instead of, man, I saw a stat today that there were, I don't know how many guys that averaged more than 25 seconds in between pitches. I was actually really surprised that, that many i don't even know what that number was or the article i was reading today uh, maybe on the athletic or something like that but i mean any anybody from a pitching coach standpoint from my standpoint mike bodiker mcfarland all the guys that we talk about it when you go out there and you create that mindset to go out there and get ahead of guys that not only helps you that helps the guys playing behind you just as much i mean guys are ready for action they're ready to make a play behind you uh, and I think that's the thing. I, li- I like the pitch clock thing. I- and we had it when I was in college. And I think you see a week in the spring training just how, how, how the-, the game just moves along faster. There's going to be some hiccups. I mean, we saw it early, I think, in the first game between the Red Sox and the Braves where the game ended on a <laughs> full count, yeah. uh, bases loaded, strike three, games over deal. Uh, but I would rather that happen now and we get those kind of things figured out as we move into the regular season. Uh, but I think already you can sh- it's showing that, I mean, it's already shaved 25 minutes on average off games, uh, and he just keeps, you know, keeps the action going, and I really like it. Now, with some of the other changes that have happened around baseball, of course, I think the majority or the overwhelming majority is that fans are in favor of quicker games. You don't want to have guys in, in eight to three games in the ninth inning walking around, as you said, taking 25 seconds in between pitches. But how about the bigger bases, which you brought up earlier on in the segment? How much is that going to impact base running or guys beating out ground balls? I think even it was two days ago when the Royals were on TV, 
Uh, I think it was somebody for Cleveland that stole second base and was able to, you know, kind of get around the tag and easily grab onto the bag, where maybe last year he's sliding over the bag because it's a little bit smaller. He can't grip it as well. How much is that going to impact nightly uh, the game of baseball with having a bigger base out there? Uh, some. I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge thing, but, I mean, all all those little things matter. And you call the bigger bases with, you know, the, the two pickoff rules or two step-off rules. Um, you're going to start to see guys uh, getting bigger leads after, you know, guys already picked once, especially after a guy's going to, you know, pick twice. Uh, our catcher's really getting locked in about back picking uh, and doing those kinds of things. And that's what this is supposed to create is more offense. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I want to, I really want to delve into it and, and sit down and watch some games uh, once we get to going. It's a little bit different in spring training because you got so many different guys getting at-bats and, and, and getting in the game and, and things like that. But I, you couple those things together, the bigger base, the no shift, and the and the two-pick thing, I mean, I, it's going to change a little bit. Um, and then you add that to the, the quicker tempo uh, with all that, I think we're going to see a bit, bit of a different product this year. We're talking with former Royal, Royal Jamie Bluma, talking about the boys in blue who are 5-1 and one in Cactus League play. The WBC is coming up next week. Of course, Jamie, you know I'm a big fan of it, and there will be some Royals going to play in the WBC. You'll have Bobby Witt Jr. and Brady Singer going to play for Team USA. Nicky Lopez and Vinny Pascomtino are going to go play for Team Italy. MJ Melendez will be playing for Puerto Rico. Across the board, there will be a couple of guys that will be leaving spring training to go play in that two-, three-week-long event. But how much does that impact the roster here now? Because you have a lot of guys that, you know, some have their spots locked in. Bobby Wood Jr. and Brady Singer are fine. Vinny Pasquantino is fine. Same with MJ Melendez. But how about Nicky Lopez, who I don't think really has a locked-in spot. Michael Massey may be trying to beat him out out of camp. Michael Garcia is another guy who's played well in spring training. Is this a good move for Nicky Lopez to leave spring training with the Royals and go play for Team Italy? Does it matter much? I mean, where do you stand on going and playing in the WBC when you don't really have a solidified spot? I mean, I'm sure that's something that he sat long, long and hard about. I mean, the chance and opportunity to go play for a country – uh, is a whole different feeling and a whole different ball game than in what you've done playing for your one major league team that you're with or whoever you've been with without throughout his career. Obviously, Nicky's only ever been a Royal. Uh, so when he was given the opportunity to go play for Team Italy, I'm sure he weighed all those uh, decisions and thought, man, you know, this is something I may never get to do again, uh, and let, let's go do it. Now, if that ends up, you know, costing him a chance, I mean, maybe going to play for the World Baseball Classic, once he gets back, uh, maybe that intensity level is even a little bit higher than it was before because he, he's going to be battling for a spot for that, you know, that 26th guy in the utility standpoint. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's exciting I, it, to get an opportunity uh, to go play for a country uh, versus just one of 30 teams in the big leagues is a big deal. And I, I love you looking at the rosters. I, I, I'm with you. I'm a fan as well. Uh, you just wonder. And I know big league clubs worry about this. And we've talked about it before, just the long-term effects of, you know, pitchers having to get ready. Obviously, you're not going to see guys go throw six, seven innings in a, in a World Baseball Classic thing because uh, ultimately with all the yep. money that they're getting paid for their, for their, for their team during the season, uh, you don't want to extend a guy too much too soon. So uh, those things all come into play. Uh, but I think it's exciting, and, and they've expanded the field from the World Baseball Classic standpoint, too. I've, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of baseball camps and clinics and coaching over in the European uh, arena over there. So to see the 
see the other teams that are in this to get some of the guys that you may not have, you, you may never hear from them at the big league level uh, standpoint. But the more and more this game gets global, you're going to start to see guys from other countries, you know, kind of pop up here and there. We've obviously got uh, the one guy for the Twins, Max Kepler's from Berlin, Germany. Uh, you got to see, uh, you know, those things when I was over there coaching in Berlin. I think it's just a great thing for the game uh, to see all these different countries getting represented. Uh, when we don't have baseball in the Olympics year in, year out, like we, we, like, like we used to. So uh, this is the opportunity to showcase baseball at a little bit more of a global level. Jamie, one of the hotter names in spring training right now for the Royals is Michael Garcia. J.J. Piccolo mentioned that he wants to see him play a little bit of the outfield. You know, Matt Quattraro said that he wants to see him play some third base. Is that kind of just in writing right there, or I guess out to the media now, that the Royals really want Michael Garcia to crack the opening day roster? I like, yeah, and I and I don't like what I've seen from him in the past. And now that he started spring training a little bit of hot uh, to give him an opportunity, uh, I like it, and I like that he's going to be given the opportunity. I mean, we we've talked about it a little bit, you and I, and and with Shane Dennis and with the Border Patrol guys, you know, just what what's going to happen with Hunter Dozier. Where what is the Royals going to do uh, as far as you, you haven't seen him uh, historically ever eat a contract? Um, that's just something that hasn't been the uh, Royals' way of doing things. So, uh, depending on everybody does, including Mikael Garcia and, and and Hunter Dozier, you know how things are going to shake out moving forward. I think that's uh, a few of the pretty pretty interesting question marks about about who's going to end up being on this final twenty six man roster. You know, it feels like too that a guy like Fran Mill Reyes has been playing a lot, hitting cleanup, hitting fifth for the Royals over the last couple of games, and even in those lineups where it appears like that would be the Royals' opening day lineup on a scale of maybe one to ten or a percentage, right here, what do you give Fran Mill Reyes of making the opening day roster as the team's DH? Uh, you know what? I didn't even realize that he wasn't with Cleveland when he signed him, so I was a little bit like, <laughs> man, that it was all right. We got Fran Mill, but where does he fit in? I mean, with with, with Salvi. Salvi going to, uh, you know, probably get some, some more reps at DH, depending on who the backup catcher is going to be. Um, with Pasquantino being over there, we still got Nick Prado, uh, who's a prospect. I just don't know where he fits in unless he's just the hottest guy. I mean, obviously, Prado's still got options left. Uh, you're trying to figure out what's going on with MJ Melendez from a catcher versus where he's going to play. Uh, he's just kind of an interesting wild card with the kind of juice that he's got. Uh, and the kind of the things that he does offensively, I mean that's the guy you gotta you gotta you gotta sign like that. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle, uh, and he do, and he does something for you a lot like a role as Chapman. Maybe they have a pretty good stretch, uh, and we're able, able if we are or aren't in it at you know come trade value time, uh, maybe we flip that guy and, and build a little bit more depth with our within our organization. We're talking with former Royal Jamie Bluma here on the night shift on Sports Radio eight ten. WHB. It's kind of hard to make this prediction so early in spring training, especially since we don't know maybe how some injuries are going to go down. Because in spring training, you're always going to have injuries. Drew Waters went down with an oblique injury a couple weeks ago, and he's now sidelined for about six weeks. And you have a guy like Diego Hernandez who dislocated his shoulder. He's out for an extended period of time. But if there's one guy that you would like to put money on, of course, we're out here at the Barstool Sportsbook, that you would put money on to have the best bounce-back season for the Kansas City Royals, who would that be? Uh, you know, and it's not a bounce-back season, but I think a guy that I'm looking really forward to hoping he establishes himself is Massey. Um, I just like how he plays the game. I followed him a little bit in college. I was able to meet some of his, 
you know, people that he had grown up with uh, in the Chicago area before he went and played in college. Uh, just to see him, to, you know, make make the team and, and do a good job and take that take that next step moving forward. I, I think that's the guy I want to see. And Michael Massey right now is, of course, trying to win out the starting job from Nicky Lopez. I think it was probably a three-way battle with Nicky Lopez, Michael Massey, and Michael Garcia for the second base spot. As for some of this outfield depth, I think Kyle Isbell right now is the runaway to be the center fielder. But this may be kind of a, a simple question, not really that of an in-depth type of question. But I think you have some question marks with the corner outfield spot because MJ Melendez is going to play one of them. and He is a catcher. He was a catcher to the system. Do you put a guy like that in left field or right field when he's still trying to learn the position? Of course, we all know here in Kansas City, Alex Gordon, when moving from third base, actually, I think, started in right field, then moved over to left field. So if you're trying to get a catcher comfortable with the position in the outfield, which corner outfield spot is the easiest maybe to learn? Um, I would say probably left field probably the easiest one to learn. I mean, you've got a lot of different things going on in right, but uh, that would probably be the most comfortable place to start. And I, I don't know if you guys talked about it already tonight, but it looks like we signed Jackie Bradley Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw that little thing. So there, there's another guy that's been around a little bit uh, that throws another name into that from an outfield standpoint. You know, a guy that's got uh, quite a little bit of big league time, but maybe didn't ever perform at the level that you that, that you people thought he was going to when he first came into the league. Uh, he's going to be an interesting uh, guy to throw in that mix too. So uh, that's what that's what's exciting for me moving forward with this team in spring training is all the different you know opportunities guys are going to get and who's going to be the person that that takes that step forward and 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 you know shows them that one I want to be on this opening day roster. Two, I'm going to establish myself uh, throughout the entire 2023 season at the major league level. Jamie, last question for you here. Again, I'm going to have you place a bet down, but if there's one Royal to make the All-Star game this year, who would be your representative? I'm going to go Vinny Pasquantino. With what numbers would you say? If, if I had to, if I had to hold you to maybe a guess on what his numbers could be this year, is he going to lead the Royals in home runs, lead him in average OBP? I'm going to say that he's going to lead the lead the team in homers and RBIs. Okay. Well, you heard it here first from Jamie Bloom, a former Royal, that he thinks Vinny Pasquantino will be the All Star representative. Funny enough, that was my prediction as well. Jamie, thanks so much for your time as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You got it. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Dylan. There he goes. That's former Royal Jamie Bluma giving us all of our rundown on the boys in blue through their first six games in spring training. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show right here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. Final few minutes of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Well, it is official... The Kansas Jayhawks are the outright Big 12 champions of the regular season after TCU upended Texas last night in Fort Worth 75-73. to So Kansas will go into that game on Saturday against the Longhorns with really nothing to lose. The only thing on their minds now is setting themselves up to get that number one seed in the Midwest region. The Kansas State Wildcats were also in action last night, and they thump Oklahoma 85-69. to And how about this? Naquan Tomlin, who Jerome Tang pointed out as their X-factor going into March, a guy that you can really see have a surge in his play, he led the Cats in scoring last night with 19 points in five boards, only missed one shot from the floor 
was 8 of 9. Keontae Johnson also had 16 points, 5 boards, and 3 steals. Desi Sills had 15 points in his fourth game uh, in the starting five. The Cats are a perfect 4-0 in those games as well. He nearly had the triple-double as well, 15 points, 9 boards, and 8 assists. Marquise Noel did have a double-double. He had 11 points and 10 assists, and Cam Carter had 7 points, 5 boards, and 2 assists off the bench. They got 9 points from David Gasson, 4 points from Tyke Green, and 2 points from Bebe Ejiola. The Cats will finish up the regular season on Saturday on the road in Morgantown. Likely going to have to win that game and maybe one more in the Big 12 tournament to hold that two seed either in the East or the Midwest region will be my guess on where the Kansas State Wildcats end up. Kansas, on the other hand, as we mentioned, they will wrap up the regular season on Saturday down in Austin against the Texas Longhorns. So Kansas going into that game, it's pretty much about holding that top spot in the Midwest region and continuing to hunt down the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. As for some of the games on Saturday to watch in the Big 12, Iowa State now without Caleb Grill, who announced he is leaving the program or was dismissed from the program. They'll be on the road in Waco against the seventh-ranked Baylor Bears. Kansas State in Morgantown against West Virginia. TCU on the road in Norman against Oklahoma. Kansas at Texas and Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. Well, that'll wrap up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We will not have a show tomorrow due to some scheduling conflicts, but we will be back after the weekend recapping all the college basketball games, maybe some more NFL draft news, and, of course, some touching on the Royals down in spring training. We'll see how they'll fare over the next couple of days there. So we'll be back on Monday at 10 a.m. You take it easy, Kansas City.